0: welcome to the undead walking podcast part of the fan-sided podcast network now please welcome your host sarah beth pollack
1: Welcome back to another edition of the Undead Walking Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Beth Pollack, and it is Sunday, it's April 18th, and we just got done with an all-new episode of Fear the Walking Dead. It's episode 609, Things Left to Do. And, uh... A lot of people on social media are saying that it really felt like it was a season finale. And, you know, it's funny because last week's episode was the mid-season finale, episode 608, The Door. It was supposed to be the the last episode of the first half of the season. So that means that this was the, would have been the season, the mid-season premiere of the second half of of season six. Um, But because of the pandemic, everything got thrown up into the air, and so we actually got two episodes back-to-back, and they did feel like big episodes because they were big episodes, and uh, it was kind of interesting. I mean, if you think about having those two episodes playing back-to-back, it really changes the way that um, that we experience them. Sometimes, it, it, At the very least, I think the shortest hiatus we've had between the season, you know, when, when it's gone on hiatus... I think the shortest part has been, uh, the sh- the shortest break was three weeks. And, uh, so now we just had a, a week and it was great. We were able to see the outcome of, uh, or the aftermath, the instant aftermath of what happened after John Dory died. Uh, I think it, it actually played out well because obviously that was a huge episode and a huge moment when John Dory died and June had to put him down and, uh, you know, the fallout, there was a lot of fallout and, you know, as expected, it was uh, it was a big episode and it was just nice not to have to wait. So I think we got a little spoiled with that. It's probably not going to happen ever again. At least I hope it doesn't because that means there's no pandemics out there or anything kind of causing a delay like that. But uh, but yeah, so it was kind of nice having those two episodes back to back. They were both directed by Michael E. Satrazimus and He's known for having some of the biggest episodes on the show. So yeah, it was it was a huge episode. Obviously we said goodbye to Colby Minifie, and um, you know for better or for worse, we are now looking at Dakota as someone who is quite possibly the bigger threat in a way. Um, you know, obviously Jenny had her shortcomings and she was in control of a lot of people, but Dakota's also really, dangerous. You know, she's someone who doesn't really, you know, her her sense of right and wrong is tempered by what she's grown up in. And that kind of shapes everything. So it's interesting that she's still around. It's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. Um, So your guess is good as mine as to what's going to happen next. But, you know, we saw more people coming together. We saw a whole bunch of tension, obviously Strand kind of pulled out his ace in the hole and showed what could, uh, you know, what could be, what could be happening in his mind. But I don't really trust anything that Strand does. Coleman Domingo is phenomenal when it comes to, uh, to kind of playing Strand in a way where you don't really know if you're seeing everything or if you're seeing part of it. And what I mean by that is, I don't think this was all Strand was working on behind the scenes. I think this was, I think this was just the tip of the iceberg and he was building his own army, but it's hard to say where he's, where he's going to go next, you know? So now we have Strand's group, we have Morgan's group and, you know, Sherry's people are also on kind of out there. And then we have this big threat. We have this big threat with, uh, you know, this this lingering thread of the people with with the graffiti saying that it's, uh, you know, the end is the beginning and all of that. So there's a lot going on. And these two episodes have been phenomenal. And I cannot wait to see what happens for the rest of the season. So I'm really excited about this. Now, tonight's podcast is a little different. Um, The next few podcasts, I have to say, are packed. There are so many people that we have, so many special guests. And um, this week, I uh, I actually spoke with the showrunners, uh, Adam Chambliss and Ian Goldberg, and we did a kind of an exclusive interview kind of thing. Uh, and we, we went through a lot. We, we covered a little bit of 608, and then we talked mostly about 609, and they did tease kind of what was coming, and, and you know, we talked about characters, we talked about Alicia, we talked about Strand, talked about, you know, what this is setting up, and, Um, whether they were ever thinking about keeping Virginia alive, which, spoiler alert, they weren't. Um, But it was really interesting. And they talk a lot about how Virginia's death came about. And it was actually inspired in a large way by something that happened when Jenna Elfman was filming back in season five. And I'm going to leave them to explain it. But the reason I mention it now is that we actually also have an interview with Colby Menefee, and she kind of goes into that. We talk a little bit about, um, you know, what it's like meeting her demise the way she did and going out in such a big episode. And um, so it's it's actually a really fun interview, and I really enjoyed talking with Colby. It's, it's not the first time I've talked with her, but... Um, I don't know. It's it's just always fun to talk to her, and I'm I'm going to miss her on the show. I I, I will say that I, I liked Virginia as a villain. Um, I I liked that she's kind of unpredictable and she follows her own her own path. And I think that that's I think that's good in this world. I think that that kind of villain has layers, and not knowing what's going to happen. I think it plays really well. Um, you know it it's i don't want to say she's like negan but there are aspects of her personality she does have that charisma that negan has and i think that's why people follow her she's also kind of batshit crazy so that's also why they follow her cuz you don't want to cross her um so those are things that they have in common you know she's uh she's willing to do whatever it takes and now we know why that is the case you know now we know that Her relationship with Dakota is a lot different than the way it was presented, and now things are starting to make sense. She was protecting her sister because her sister was actually her daughter, and she was struggling with, you know, the emotion of trying to protect this person, knowing that this person blames her for their parents' death, when actually those weren't her parents at all. Those were her grandparents'. So there's some like straight up Mari Povich level stuff happening here, and uh, it it really changed the nature of the of the show, and and I think that's going to be something that that continues to play out as the show progresses, and once again we see that kids in the apocalypse are crazy. We need to be we need to be mindful that that young people. Uh, Judith aside because Judith and I think probably you know obviously Herschel is is a very sweet child and RJ is adorable and he would never hurt anybody um, you know but but kids kids are kind of scary uh, so with that said I'm gonna jump right into these interviews um, the one with Colby Menifee is about 15 minutes long and then the one with Andrew and Ian is uh, it's about 30 minutes maybe a little bit under that so yeah um, there, there will be a little commercial break in the middle of that. So, you know, if you want to jump to that, if you're interested in hearing what they have to say, or if you want to just hear Colby, you know, whatever it is, um, I know how people are, and you may not want to hear the whole thing. But obviously, I'm really excited to bring it to you because uh, that's what we do here. We bring you exclusive interviews with the cast, and it's always fun talking with them. And like I said, I'm really going to miss Colby because she is so fun and so her energy is just so much fun. And when you think about her in character, it's even better just to, to see that juxtaposition of, you know, this, this really dark character with such a warm and wonderful person. It's really fun. And, uh, so yeah, so we're going to jump right into that. This is my interview with Colby Minifee about Fear the Walking Dead episode 609, Things Left to Do.
2: Hello Sarah Beth.
1: Hi Colby, how are you?
2: I'm good. How are you doing?
1: I'm great. I'm I feel like I I'm, I'm finally free now that we get to talk about these episodes because I I've been so excited. I, know. <laughs> I don't know how <gasps> you do it. it. I don't know how you you can keep the I,
2: secrets. I don't know either. I haven't luckily haven't had to keep keep it for too long. Um so it's it's you know I haven't had many <laughs> interviews about the episode, which is great because like It's, uh, I don't have to, you know, cover too much.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And it's, it's such a bummer because it's, you know, Virginia is such a funny character because as much as you want to not like her, you also love, like, you can't help but love her. Like, she's just, she's lovably evil.
2: (laughs) She is. She is. She's got that, she's got that charm, you know, she's got that Texas charm. Oh,
1: yeah, I mean, and and you know, that's one of the things that's always been so striking to me about her her character and and the way that you play her has just always been so brilliant to me because like, I studied political science in college. and and, you know, you talk about like these leaders, how do these leaders become the people that they do? And I, I actually called one of my professors when Negan it started on the see on on The Walking Dead. And I was like, Tell me how this is, like, why do people follow people like this? You know, and and it's such, charisma Mm. plays into it so much. And Ginny has this charisma that you just can't help but follow. It's weird.
2: Wow, I'm so happy you said that. What a compliment. I feel like I, like, wow. (laughs) I feel like I, like, I was like, oh, I should have talked to some political scientists about this. Oh, my God, it great. (laughs) That's so funny.
1: Thank you. Oh no, it's 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 a pleasure. I mean, honestly, it's it's just it's so fascinating to see like the development of these characters and to see, you know, and mm. I think that's what's so interesting about Six Hundred Nine because Strand really plays into that. You know, she, he's he's uh, he has a lot going on, and he manages mm-hmm. to kind of double cross her, which. Makes it even more interesting because she kind of knew. Like, I mean, did you think that Ginny that knew that that was going to happen or it, it was a possibility when she gave him so much power, or did she do you think that she kind of expected that he would fall in line?
2: I, I think she expected he would fall in line. I think there's a lot behind the scenes that happens with Virginia and Strand that isn't necessarily um, played out too explicitly in the on screen, but. Coleman and I talked quite a bit about like, there must have like maybe they're having sex like like there's something going on there between the two of them. <laughs> I mean we don't know but like <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun it was a fun option. But like <laughs> we're like there there must be something going on with him that that uh, that um, that means that Virginia trusts him enough to guard Dakota at, like, the height of when she's worried about her being kidnapped, like, that, and then, of course, he, she gets kidnapped, but, like, there's, there's a lot of things that Virginia does with Strand that shows that she trusts him implicitly, and, um, and when he does that, it's, like, it's, like, oh, no, like, when, in the, in the, I think it's episode two, where he, where Strand built that army, and I go up, I... I go up to him and find him at that, you know, that strange warehouse and I'm like, "Now, and now I want you to build an army for me. Like you are the you are the weapon that I've that I'm trying to build." And like it's really uh, an army of of people that I trust. And so for him to for him to shoot me. Not cool, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it, it, you didn't you really didn't see it coming. And and it's funny because I talked to I talked to Andrew and Ian the other day, and I asked them if they had mm. considered Virginia playing a bigger role and maybe not dying, and how that would have worked, and, and they kind of indicated that they always saw her dying because of all of the things that have, that have to happen later in the season, and, and it just worked in the story, yeah. but did you, like, you know, I'm sure you kind of knew that she wasn't long for the story, but did you, did you also see yeah. an opportunity for her to, to continue?
2: I, I, um, I mean, I, I always thought that she was gonna, she was gonna die. I figured, like, the things that she's done to these people, (laughs) um, is, uh, it's, they would be hard to forgive. I mean, that's why these characters are so incredible, because they're so forgiving. Um, it would be hard to forgive, you know, uh, even in an apocalypse, um, She's just very, she's ruthless, and uh, she thinks that that will get her far, but, you know, um, clearly led to her end, um, and did get her far, but led to her end, but I, I always knew she was going to, when I first started season five, I didn't, you know, I didn't, I didn't know how long it would last, but I did have some inkling that she was going to be, I wasn't told, but I was had some inkling that she was not going to be long for this world, <laughs> um, which, uh, you know, it's it's kind of great; it gives you free reign to, to do whatever you you want, really. Um, but I think, yeah, I think that I wonder. You know, I didn't think about what would happen if she survived. I mean, there is that. I, I you know, I th- towards the end of the episode when they're like, "We're going to let you go, but you have to go far away from here." I do think if she hadn't died. We would just not see her again, like the pain she has caused these people, I think is so drastic that um they couldn't just live and look at her every day, you know <laughs> also, they can't trust her, I can't trust her. she wants power um she's got you know she's gotta be in her bonnet about about talking too much, you know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Well, you know, it's funny because I remember when we talked at the beginning of season six, you indicated, Mm -hmm. which I thought was so fascinating when you said that, that her profession before all of this happened, like she was an efficiency expert, which makes perfect sense. Like that, that absolutely rings true. But, and this is, this is kind of a a two-part question because, you know, there's no question that, that Dakota is her Achilles heel. Like, and and she is right. you know, from the moment that she's revealed, um, yeah. But you know, so how do you how how do you see Virginia in you know, given what she what she has done to build this community and and to build everything she's built? Did she kind of slip up by not coming clean to Dakota so that she could maybe put some of that? Was she so clueless as to why Dakota was so upset? Like, was that real? Did she really not see what? Dakota was so upset about or could she have maybe not you know could she have fixed that situation by saying, "Hey, this is why I'm doing everything. All of you know, everything you knew was a lie and here we are and let's move mm. forward." Because by the time to- by the end of 609, like Dakota actually kind of warms up to the idea of like, "Hey, this is yeah. my sister." Like, you know, it seems like it could have worked.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It could have worked, I know. Well, I think it's a really good question you're asking because I think I think one of Virginia's Achilles heels is also vulnerability. You know, she's not, she thinks any form of um, vulnerability is, is, uh, is going to bring her down in some way or like not strong or, you know, coming from that corporate efficiency expert world, like she, she spreads this, this, Theory that everything has to work for a purpose, and yet she doesn't follow that rule herself. Um, and I think, you know, in terms of her relationship with Dakota, it's very it's complicated because I think the way in which Dakota was brought into the world, um, um, we don't know details, but I have a certain theory about it, and and I think she was never she never knew how to show. Um, motherly affection or even sisterly affection toward Dakota because she didn't know what it, how sisters are supposed to behave, um, let alone uh, in an apocalypse, like even normally, she didn't know how sisters are supposed to behave. And then she's, she's not supposed to show her or tell her that she's uh, her daughter. And so, or she's her like that Dakota is her daughter. And so she's had to keep her at an arm's length for her whole life and I think that that, like um, that wall, that huge emotional wall, is ultimately the the thing that ends her. Because if she had only been open um, and and honest and vulnerable with her daughter, you know, none of this, no, it, it, Dakota Dakota wouldn't have caused the entire downfall <laughs> of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's really, but I do think that. I do think that in that um, it's just, yeah, it's a, it's, she, she thinks that as, that being a leader is, means that you cannot show any of that side of yourself. But I actually think like, I actually think um, vulnerability is, is the most powerful tool, you know?
1: Absolutely. Now, do you think that, you know, because with what you're saying about her relationship with Dakota is so interesting because in the end, for a number of reasons it's it's appropriate that that mm-hmm. June is the one who ultimately kills mm-hmm. Virginia but knowing what happened with June's daughter and kind of seeing that I mean there is there is that that huge sense of poetic justice but do you think that Virginia totally. kind of backtracking like you know June saved her life didn't have to but she did so like she's got this loyalty You know mm-hmm. th- there's some sense of loyalty there before all of this falls apart. Mm-hmm. And, Do you think she was putting together, like, oh, God, like, June could really be a problem now as soon as John washes up on that beach or on the riverbank?
2: Um, That's a good question. I think think she is – I think she has her – I think she's wary of June, but I think also she knows that June has done – has already saved her life and June bends toward goodness always. Um, uh, and like I think I think some a flaw in Virginia is she thinks she has June pegged, you know? Mm-hmm. But but she knows she knows that she knows enough that she has to um, I mean it's not like it's not like John dies and June is burying her, and Virginia's like, "Listen, I'm so, so, so sorry." You know, yeah. she doesn't extend a hand. She's just like, "All right, I well, intended, you know, right? we have to move forward." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Fun <laughs> unintended. But I'm so happy you caught that. Um, but yeah, no, it's like it, she doesn't treat her like, "Dude, I'm sorry." You know, she she's just like, "Well, this is this is." I, where is my sister like like i I understand you're upset, but like my sister- where is Dakota you know, um, and so I think that the, I think when she pulls out the gun, it's like, oh well, of course, you know, of course, like there's nothing left for her to say after that. she can't talk her way out of this one, you know it's that's it, you know, she's yeah. just complete for her life, and she knows it's the end. <laughs>
1: Which is it's so and
2: Sarah Beth we have time for one more quick question. Sorry to jump okay. in. Oh
1: no problem. Um, you know, that, that scene at the scene of the lineup is so interesting because, you know, everything that you've said so far, Colby, you know, really hints at Virginia's, you know, one of her fatal flaws is this lack of compassion and lack of, you know, empathy for the people around her. And that's really what mm. Strand uses against her when he says, you know, she's she's not who you think she is and you know, you can come with me. I mean mm-hmm. that that moment was just such an amazing moment and um you know do you, mm-hmm. it was it was poetic. I mean I think I feel like of all the deaths in the Walking Dead universe like I mean they they really drove home like all of the reasons why Virginia had to die. I mean <laughs> which is
2: yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. They much- did and you know it's it's uh- Oh, wait, sorry, go ahead. Go oh ahead. no,
1: I was just I was gonna say like that that has to that has to make it a little easier to, to kind of cushion the blow.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean there's there's um the interesting thing about that scene is there was this there was this time that was spent as as um, Morgan is talking about how I've lied to all of them. There's all this time where I was gonna be standing there listening to him say all this stuff and I was like Virginia would be, like, she would be going out of her mind, you know. She would be just, like, sh- trying to shoot her in the head or something. So we we decided that, that I would go around and just tell everyone what I've done for them. Like, you know, she is smart. She is, like, she has built this huge uh, group, or this huge community of people by doing things for each individual that has, that has ingratiated her to them, you know, that has, that has shown her value to them. And so she walks around and she's like, I've, I didn't, I save your kid. And like, didn't I give you a bed to sleep in? And didn't I feed you? And didn't I like, you know, help give you a home in this like crazy world that we live in. And for Strand to then, you know, go ahead and say, well, that's not enough. That's, it's not enough. What what matters is like, you know, human beings and and you uh, know um, actually caring about people. <laughs> it's like, uh, yes, yeah, you know, he's missed missed a big part of it. <laughs> like there is that. What you were saying about the Texas, like the Texas, uh, um, that charm. You know, like she has that Texas charm, and then like she flips very very easily and and is threatening to people that i feel like they can't step out of line but then she's constantly reminding them like don't forget i i have jam you know yeah. i got bread like <laughs> i got luxuries oh,
1: yeah she is just she is she was such a pleasure to watch and it's it's gonna i'm gonna miss you on the show because it just you never knew what you were gonna get with virginia and that's what made it so great
2: oh thank you so much i had so much fun i had a total blast, and i'm i'm gonna miss it for sure i'm really gonna miss it i already miss it i mean <laughs>
1: <laughs> thank, thank you, you. Yeah, thank you so much thank and uh, hopefully we get to talk about something else because it's always fun talking to you
2: oh me too yeah i hope so too <laughs> you too sarah Beth
1: and we're back and hopefully you enjoyed that interview with colby menifee she is always fun to talk to and I'm really hoping that we get a chance to um, speak with her again in the future. Um, I do want to pause before we get into our interview with the showrunners. Um, We have um, Fansided has some new sponsors of these podcasts and so I'm going to read to you this, uh, this wonderful sponsorship message instead of playing a commercial. So This is a first for me, so bear with me because it's the first time I've done this, but it's a really exciting product, and uh, yeah let's uh let's get into it this podcast is brought to you by danette may and mindful health llc featuring danette may's top superfood product from her earth echo foods line cocoa bliss nothing feels better than being able to enjoy rich smooth creamy chocolate and knowing you are doing something good for your body we start with 100 percent organic cocoa beans that are naturally kissed by the sun maintaining its miraculous health benefits Then we blend it with turmeric, MCT oil, coconut, Himalayan sea salt, cinnamon, and black pepper for the perfect blend to make you feel the best you ever have. The result? Fall in love with a truly decadent, healthy, guilt-free chocolate, removing your cravings, facilitating weight loss, boosting your energy, and reducing your inflammation with one simple drink. Not only that, it's friendly to paleo, gluten-free, keto, vegan, and vegetarian diets. For the last eight years, we have been a leader in the superfoods market, and are proud to have served millions of customers worldwide. We are offering fi- up to fifteen percent off when you use code Minute. That's Minute M I N U T E. Just go to, vid- to earth, EarthEchoFoods dot com slash minute media, and uh, and you can take advantage of that wonderful opportunity. And again, that is EarthEchoFoods.com echofoods.com slash minute media. And use the code MINUTE for 15% off your order. All right, that was our podcast sponsorship ad commercial. And um, yeah, excited to have Earth Echo Foods part of the uh, the fan-sided Minute Media family. So thank you for your sponsorship. And now we will move on to my interview with Fear the Walking Dead showrunners, Ian Goldberg and Andrew Chambliss. Enjoy. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. It's always so much fun to talk to you guys. And I've I have i have been like on pins and needles since getting the screeners because these episodes are just so fantastic.
0: Oh, thank you. Yeah. Exactly.
1: Yeah. It's uh it's crazy to think um, you know, th- this journey that you've been on. It's funny to think that it's it started with, you know, with 401 and it's and 608 is so so interesting to me because I know you both you both wrote the episode, but you see the entire journey kind of culminate with 608. So like you couldn't have, seen, you know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, I see so much of, of uh, Laura in this episode, which you know is is fair, but to me it actually goes all the way back to, to 401. I mean, you can't have, you really couldn't have told this story without everything that happened from the moment Morgan arrived on the show.
2: That was,
3: I I think, intentional. Like the one thing we kind of set out to do when we conceived of this episode was tell a story about Morgan trying to bring John Dory back to people in the same way that Dory kind of made the first steps to bring Morgan back to people in 401. So when we were talking about the story, when we were breaking it, when we were working on the script, we were kind of very conscious to include touchstones to 401 in it um you know in in small ways you know and obviously like you said there are a lot of callbacks to 405 just because of the setting being at the cabin um being on that bridge but you know for us it was really about morgan doing for john dory what john dory did for him um, all that time ago
1: And it's interesting too. um, I was, I actually, I I talked to uh, Mikey and Adam Shushitsky about bringing the episode to life visually. It's just, Mm -hmm. it's not often that The Walking Dead hits this nexus of. It was such a sad episode, but it was such a beautiful episode. Like it's hard to hit that sweet spot of of delivering such a horrible, you know, a, a major character death in such a horrible way but to do it so beautifully that people are still kind of, it kind of softens the blow, if that makes sense. Like it, it it, was just so amazing. But one of the things that really stood out is after watching the episode the first time and then going back and watching it subsequently like three more times, because I did, um, what really struck me is that you were kind of setting this up from the very first moments of the show, both visually, the way it was filmed and in the script itself. Like there were so many moments where if you sit back and go and go through it again, you know, there's John says, you know, the river has a way of people bringing people back to life. And, you know, he sees Morgan. He says, I feel like I'm looking at a ghost and all of these things when taken together, set up what's about to to happen. And Ian, I know you've, you've written a, a one of the scariest horror movies that uh, that I can remember in recent memory and it, it kind of played on that twist of like you know laying the crumbs and then putting it out there in the end um can you talk a little bit about like how you guys saw this story building and how you had to set it up to have the impact that it did
0: uh, yeah um well before I get into that just could not agree more about the episode visually being just beautiful and Mikey and Adam are a are really an all star team on, on this. They it's, there's some images that are just so striking. The one that one of the many that always gets me is the one when John Dory falls in the water, um, and you see that it's it's his shadow, but you see the the light streaking in from above. It's just so so beautiful, and and it also. Again, kind of speaks to the thematics there, which is this is an incredibly dark moment for the character, but there's still a brightness and a hope to it because he's about to fight for everything he's got. So it all, all those visual moments, they come from story and they come from emotion. And Mikey and Adam are very lucky <laughs> that that uh, they they brought this one to life because it it was just beautiful. Um. But yeah, to to answer your other question, it was, I think one of the the joys for us of of working on a on a show like this is the pieces actually the pieces that we were playing with were set up uh, all going all the way back to four hundred one, you know the thematic idea of like Andrew said of. Morgan was in a place in that episode where he wanted to be away from people. Now John is in a place where he's isolating himself and punishing himself and Morgan has to bring him back. Uh, so I think there's those breadcrumbs that get set very early on that we're always playing with. But um, one other aspect is, you know, we've talked about the Morgan and John kind of flip from 401. But the other thing that... That happens in this episode is the flip on the June and John 405 moment. Uh, and to go to your point about the river bringing people back to life, in June's case in 405, it did bring her back to life because it landed her at John's doorstep when she washed up on his, at his cabin. And in this case, we wanted to build this expectation that it's going to do the same thing for John Um, And ultimately it doesn't. And we have that sort of mirror image of the way that John and June first met where he brought her out of the water into the cabin and brought her back to life. And in this case, it's the very dark and sad mirror of that where this is John now uh, being the one who washes up and June trying to bring him back and it's too late for him to come back to life. So I think every chance we get-
3: yeah, no, go go. Uh, I was going to say in some ways it does kind of bring him back to life because it's when he's underwater in the river and he sees that photo of his father that he decides he's going to fight um, and it's kind of like seeing that glimmer of light is the reignition of the heart and soul of John Dory and yeah like Ian was saying even though he doesn't survive it and it has a very tragic end at least he he didn't go out at his darkest moment
1: Absolutely. And before we, uh, before we transition to the next, uh, the next episode, it has to be hard, because I know a lot of people, you know, we, we've talked about this before, but, um, you know, as you've built the past few seasons, there haven't been the number of um, casualties that you usually see in The Walking Dead universe across any of the shows. You know, like, it's almost like you don't want to have that because you know that as soon as it's too quiet, then that's when the really bad stuff's about to happen. It can't be easy because now, after two seasons, this group is so cemented. So, killing anybody is going to hurt. And I know it was, you know, it was a huge shock to, to lose John Dory, but it would be a huge shock to lose anybody at this point. And from all, you know, Mikey said himself, he was like, get ready. This is like just the beginning of, of what's coming. And I can't imagine that that's an easy thing. From your position as you know, as showrunners, knowing that this is a an ultimately, it's a show about death and the apocalypse and trying to survive the apocalypse. So it never, it, it doesn't. No matter what you do, it's always going to be tough. No matter who ends up, you know, succumbing to, to this.
3: Yeah, it's it's definitely a question we talk about a lot um, because you want the stakes to feel real. You want. Um, this world to feel like a dangerous one so that the victories feel real and and the challenges the characters face don't feel false. Um, You know, and we did go a season and a half um, without a major, major death, not since uh, 408 when, you know, Madison went to the stadium. Um, And we knew... Everything that the characters are going through with Virginia was going to have to have a cost. Um, and that was really where we started from. And, and we knew it was time that there was some sort of cost that was gonna hurt. Um, and look, I, you know, Ian and I brought John Dory to life with Garrett back in 401 and, and he's one of our favorite characters. Um, but we had to remind ourselves that we couldn't let that scare us from making that call. Um, and ultimately the fact that he was so central to the relationships in the show, um, you know, it, it's the thing that made us realize that he was the one who had to go, that he was the cost that had to, to be paid, um, because it really is going to change things fundamentally going forward for everyone. Um, and that's, I think, one of the, the challenges of the show, you know, the, in the, a show in The Walking Dead franchise is how to propel things forward, how to keep changing things, how to keep pushing the characters, um, and how to make those kind of decisions of, of when it's time for someone to go and when that's gonna, kind of when their exit, when their death will better serve the story than keeping them around um, just because you know you like the character and 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 you like the, the actor and and um, yeah it was it was a hard call <laughs> to make but but that's why we made it um.
1: yeah I can't I can't imagine it but it, as you say I mean it, it's it it does uh, it does play in and there's, there's so many different elements to what his death could provide to the story. You know, it's, it's fascinating and, and any death would be interesting, but his, I have a feeling is going to lead to really interesting things. And, um, so with that said, we'll, uh, say goodbye to 608, transition over to 609 and, uh, where we can speak openly about it because it's, uh, this is all coming afterwards, but, uh, which by the way, it's so much more fun talking to people afterwards, or, you know, being able to, to talk about it, we did those roundtables last week and bless everybody's heart the cast is so good about not saying anything about anything but it was just so hard not to go okay but wait a minute jenna like let's talk about that final scene like let's talk about these things and they're just so good you're just sitting there going oh my god i feel like i've I feel like i've been yeah. neutered or something like this is <laughs> yeah. such a weird feeling and we can't say like what we really need to say so
0: but we're but- free now the episode is aired, we can let it all out.
1: <laughs> what, uh, before before we uh, dive into it fully, so 608 was, uh, was a whole week early, and then 609, because of AMC Plus, is going to come out on Thursday. What's it like for you guys, like hearing, you know, having the episodes, you know, like, have two premieres, like have, like, does that, like, knowing that these big moments are coming, you know, and, and knowing that so many people are you know knowing that especially in your case because i think it's unique that you have a mid-season finale and mid-season premiere airing back to back so two of your biggest episodes of the season are right now and they air (laughs) at at these weird times like what's that like
0: i'd I'd say it's double the excitement and double the anxiety (laughs) because there's obviously a lot of big stuff that happens between the two episodes uh some big character losses uh and we know that that's gonna evoke a passionate response and you know we're we're excited to hear what people think because we've been we've been living with these stories and these episodes for a while now and we've just kind of been chomping at the bit to to get them out into the world and to you know let people react to them and uh it's just interesting to have the have them premiere twice as you say between amc plus and on the air because you know we're we're looking at the reactions we want to know what people are are feeling when they when they see the episode so uh yeah it's it's great to be able to get that that feedback a couple of different times and you start to see trends of how people are, are feeling about it, you know, like with 608, we were just seeing a lot of heartbreak and shock about John Dory, which, you know, is, is what we were is, is that's the reaction we were hoping for. Um, the, the last thing you'd want is for people to just sort of watch it with a shrug and say, oh, well, another character died, you know, that would be the, that would be the last thing we'd want. So I don't know, we, we, <laughs> that's a long way of answering your question just saying it's it's two different opportunities to uh, to hear what people think and actually it it lives on even beyond that beyond the two nights when it when it first launches but i don't know i think it's kind of exciting
1: yeah definitely definitely and it's it's interesting too because you, know, you see so, so many people trying to go out of their way not to spoil anything when they watch it early and that's always been that's a hard thing to do too. It's like, how do you react without giving anything away? And uh, so I'm curious about this week. I'm actually, I'm curious to see how that plays out this week because I think it's, uh, this one's going to get people talking in a completely different way.
3: Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I think the, and this is, look at these episodes were not planned to air back to back, but in some ways, um, I think it's it's kind of good they are because people are going to get to see the repercussions of what happened to John Dory. They're not going to have to wait months and months to see, uh, you know, how those ripples start to spread. And you know, as we see in six hundred nine, they're huge. Um, you know, I think everyone would imagine that John Dory's death would bring like Morgan and June close together, but instead it does the opposite. It pulls them apart because of the different ways they react to it. Um, and, you know, we're going to kind of continue to see how those fissures spread, um, but it's nice that people don't have to wait so long to, uh, to see that.
1: Definitely, definitely. And, you know, speaking of, of the reactions and the fallout from what happens with John Dory, um, I guess the first the first question, because, it, it's interesting because you know obviously we, we just talked about it or we, we've just uh, covered you know what it's like the need to have these major deaths did it ever cross your minds to keep Ginny alive and not because it, it seemed in the episode that there was a it, it was setting up like she would have been like a Megan, like she would have been locked away and just somewhere for a while but you know, it also makes perfect sense to kill her. And, and the way that she died definitely sets up a whole new story. But th- did it ever cross your mind that you needed to keep her around for any reason for the story?
0: Uh, in this case, no. We we always knew we were going to bring Virginia's chapter to a close, if not necessarily at this moment in time, uh, somewhere in this season. Um, and some of that goes toward uh, where we're building in the back half of the season and the other threat that is going to begin to uh, rear its head a lot more specifically. But, um, but, I mean, honestly, we've been starting to lay the seeds of Jenny's demise all the way back in season five, at least in, in our minds. And it, it, it came very early from the scene when Virginia first appeared at Tanktown uh, in five thirteen, and uh, we had a conversation with Jenna after that scene, and Jenna told us that she had a really visceral reaction to uh, to that to interacting with that character and to Colby's performance. She so said it was like the hairs on the back of her neck stood up. She had this just really protective mano a mano kind of thing <laughs> where she just she. Uh, it triggered a totally different side of her and it just started the gears in our head thinking without knowing all the story mechanics yet, it might be interesting if June is the one who ultimately brings Virginia down. And uh, of course there was a lot of other complicated things, including John Dory's death and how we laid out the the story in the first half of the season and the, the super interesting dynamics that evolved between June and uh, Virginia, uh, particularly in the Tanktown episode six oh six, but uh, the the seedlings were there uh, even as far back as Ginny's introduction for uh, for how we would close out her story.
1: And you know, one of the things, speaking of of closing out her story, one of the things that's that's particularly striking and. I don't want to call it a pattern, but uh, in this universe, it seems that that young people are, are really dangerous. You don't want little kids, except for maybe Judith, because Kaylee Fleming's adorable. Um, but I, I love, I love how Alexa's. I love how Alexa has been able to grow Charlie into this character who has kind of surpassed what happened in the past, and 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 everybody seems to understand that. So now, now there's there's are invariably parallels between Dakota and what Charlie did and you know for different reasons and and um but I'm just I'm wondering if there's you know is is it possible to find redemption in a character because it's very clear that Charlie killed Nick for a reason that wasn't malicious and intent you know technically his people were responsible for killing her people so it it makes sense it's hard to it's hard to compartmentalize but it it also makes sense but then you have Dakota and and now that Ginny isn't there is she kind of setting herself up as like the new I I don't want to keep saying like the new Negan but like she is not a good person now like (laughs) it's very clear she's not a good person
3: yeah I think She's cemented her status as not a good person, and I think the difference between Charlie and Dakota, both you know, young women who killed people they knew, you know, to, to varying degrees, is that Charlie did not want to kill Nick. Charlie felt like she had to do it um, because of what she saw Nick do to the people she was close to. But in this case, I don't think we really saw any of that kind of regret from Dakota. Um, Her regret was that things just went the way they did and that Dory's death um, was kind of getting in the way of her finding this family she wants with Morgan and everyone else behind the the wall of the dam. Um, So I think the real question is, is not so much whether you know, the characters on the show are going to be able to accept her and forgive her, but it's really about whether or not Dakota is going to want that forgiveness, is going to want that acceptance. Um, If these people who, you know, she was so desperate to kind of belong with are even the right people for her to be with. Um, So, you know, a big part of her journey, I think, is asking herself those questions um, and then seeing where they take her. But I just want to also add to that, like, you know, everything she's done is, is kind of hateable, but Zoe Coletti is such a good actor um, that, you know, even in the moment when she's standing on the bridge and she shoots John Dory and then scenes later she's on the bridge with Morgan and essentially telling him, you know, the only reason you're alive is so you can kill my sister, like all these really terrible things. I think there's still a sense of kind of sympathy with her because you understand um, where she's coming from. And and yeah, Zoe just did such a good job of grounding all of that um, and and making it feel kind of very human and very real and something that could grow naturally out of kind of the environment that she uh, came of age in.
0: I remember seeing those scenes uh, in dailies, the scene Andrew's talking about on the bridge and watching Zoe's performance. And it was almost like watching someone in a lot, when you're watching like a live theater performance and you don't want to move, like you don't want to shuffle in your seat because you're so gripped by what's good. It was just breathtaking how good her performance was. Um, And that's a really, really complicated moment. to elicit any kind of sympathy from an audience after you've just killed one of the most beloved characters, and she nailed it. And
3: also going toe to toe with two Lenny. really amazing actors who, um, who both have tons of experience, Garrett and Lenny. Like, yeah, you know, she held her own with them, and um, you know, that's that's not saying nothing. No, definitely not.
1: And you know, speaking of of. Uh you know, going, going toe-to-toe, I mean, this is definitely setting up, uh, I, I think, that final shot of, of June walking away, I mean, sh- everything has changed, and, um, you know, one of the things that, one of the things I did ask last week, uh, I asked Coleman if this was, to, to paraphrase, this wasn't the actual question, but is this the strandiest strand we've ever stranded in the show? <laughs> and uh and he said yes it was in terms of authenticity he's he fully believes that what you've done at this point is you've given Strand like his most authentic self like this is it's still not even clear where he is in this in this uh experience but he's uh you know he's he's he seems like he's the most authentic he's ever been and Uh, Alicia Dubnum Carey kind of said the same thing that this season you're seeing, you know, Alicia come into her own in a way that she hadn't been able to before. And now this arc with Jenna, and I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about, you know, like how these two episodes are really going to impact the characters moving forward and and what that's going to do for the rest of the season.
3: Yeah, you know, I think so much of the first half of season six was about these characters who wanted to be together but were prevented from being together by Virginia Um, and then all the events that transpire in episode 608 with Dory's death and then 609 with June killing Virginia and and kind of breaking the cardinal rule that Morgan laid out for the community he was building is that we now have a large group of characters who can be together who have nothing you know physically keeping them apart there's no there's no there's no bad guy who's stopping them from being together but they all go their separate ways at the you know the end of the episode you know strand goes back with the rangers to to Lawton. you know morgan stays put in his settlement june goes off on her own and what this is going to allow all of our characters to do is really ask themselves who they are and um you know in, in some regards find that um you know if if you know you say Strand is it is strandiest. Uh, so there's, there's still more stranding to come.
0: Um, I'd say it gets and, even strandier. Yeah.
3: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
0: but you know, the same with Alicia, you know, she,
3: she will kind of take a journey of letting go of everything from the past that she doesn't want to hold on to and making some decisions about who she wants to be going forward.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Well, I know you guys have to run at 1:30. Is there anything that you can? Is, is the rest of the season going to be as crazy as Mikey says it would be? It's going to be because <laughs> I trust Mikey implicitly. I trust you guys implicitly. And, and I'm after seeing this episode, I'm I can't imagine what you <laughs> what's going to happen. Uh,
0: it's going to get pretty crazy. We won't uh, we won't sugarcoat it. There's there's a lot that will. There's obviously a lot of ripple effects that will come from the back-to-back losses and events of 608 and 609. Uh, not to mention, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, uh, this new this new threat of the people who have been spray painting in the end is the beginning since 601, and that we mm-hmm. saw hit Tank Town in 606. This sort of uh, group that. Virginia has been warning them about for a long time uh, is finally gonna come to a head. And uh, if you thought Virginia was scary, these people are, are even scarier and they represent a, a threat that is more uh, existential, I would say, to, uh, to our heroes uh, than any they've, they've faced before.
3: All right, you put that well.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm not going to try to top that. Um,
3: but yeah, I'm I'm excited for everyone to see it. I mean, the really interesting thing is like we've been sitting on these episodes; I mean, not necessarily completed for a long time. But we, you know, when when we shut down production um, in March of last year, we just kept writing. So we had all of season six written, you know, by early summer, and then. We've been working on season seven for, for a while so it's been it's been fun to kind of revisit season six as it's airing and um, kind of look at it with a little bit of distance and see everyone's kind of reactions to it um and yeah excited for the, the craziness to come
0: and oh, least- we've we've talked about this before too but just while we're talking about excitement they have some great new cast additions in the back half, uh, in Keith Carradine and uh, John Glover and Nick Stall, um, all phenomenal, all playing very different characters. But um, this is one where I, I I have to tap dance and can't because we haven't seen the episodes yet. We can't say anything too specific, but just they're awesome, and we're excited for you guys to to see them in action.
1: Oh, that's so cool! And at least at least. We're seeing these episodes knowing there is a season seven so it's not like I mean I don't want to say you can't go killing everybody oh you could but I have to feel like <laughs> <laughs> some people will make it out alive because there's going to be a season seven so you know at least there's a little comfort in that right
3: <laughs> yeah entirely new cast of characters, season seven
2: <laughs>
3: we do like yeah. to
0: reinvent <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: Thank you guys so much. It's always so much fun talking to you guys. And I just, I'm, you know, I'm a fan. I'm excited. I'm can't wait to see what you have in store, even though it's probably going to kill me, but that's okay. I will enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well,
3: all right. Well, yeah. Thank you for for all your support and being a fan.
0: Yeah. Yeah. No always, always love talking to you.
1: Oh, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right. We are back Hopefully you enjoyed that interview. It is something that um, that we set up. You know, it, it's always fun talking with the showrunners, and I have to thank Ian and Andrew for always being available whenever I ask for an interview. So I do appreciate that, and I think you fans appreciate that also. Um, it's going to be a busy week for podcasts, uh, or for interviews for the podcast, I should say. Uh, tomorrow morning I am chatting with, or tomorrow afternoon, I should say, I'll be chatting with Jenna Elfman. And later this week, I'll be talking with Denai Garcia. And in the future, we have uh, Colby Holman. uh, Mo Collins is in there. Alexa Nysensen, And so many people. Uh, You know, it's always fun having all of the cast on the podcast. So uh, thankfully, we have seven episodes left in the season to... uh, have as many guests as possible, but there's so much to talk about right now that I really think it's it's exciting to uh, to have Jenna and deny part of the podcast this coming week. So we will be um, be chatting with them. And if you have any questions for them, please hit me up on Twitter at Pollock or at at undeadwalkingfs on Twitter. And um, yeah, so really exciting stuff. Also this week, uh, Ruben Blades has a brand new record out, so make sure you check that out. It's always he is so talented and um it's a salsa record. It's so much fun. It's so good. And if you look at Coleman Domingo's social media, uh he's actually dancing to it, playing it in the car. He just the whole cast is just so supportive and I love seeing that. So um So yeah, make sure to check that out. And once again, I want to thank everybody for bearing with me. I know this was a long podcast, but we have so many people that that we need to talk to. And um, oh my goodness, Karen David. Yeah, her interview is going to be in here too, because now it won't be spoilers. So good stuff. Um, So yeah, make sure you subscribe to the podcast, uh, leave a review, send me questions if you have questions, and thank you as always for tuning in. And uh, as we go, I just want to remind everybody to stay safe, wash your hands, and watch out for those walkers. Thanks, everybody.
4: Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there,